everybody, whether you're the president of a company or the paperboy, everybody has the exact same amount of time. You and I both have 24 hours a day. No more, no less. The question is, what do you do with your time? Real quick, my friends, go get my new book. It's called The Power to Publish. And it's at the top of the page of zbooks.co at the link, my new book. And it's going to help you with all of your self-publishing needs. Okay, back to that podcast. Welcome to the ZBook Successful Author Podcast. And with me today, I have a young up-and-coming author. And I just saw his book. And it's, I, I got to tell you, it's magnificent. And it's about something uh, that we should all really be thinking about. And when I saw it, I, I thought, oh, crap, man. I, I'm doing all these do-nots. And it's, the topic is brand identity. And the author is Gregory Deal. Hello, Gregory. How you doing? I'm doing great, Eric. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, I, I, I think it's really cool uh, finally interviewing a guy from California. I mean, it's really great, you know. <laughs> no, there aren't too many guys from California. We're a pretty rare breed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Where are you at right now? I just arrived in Ljubljana, Slovenia today. I was in Zagreb, Croatia this morning. Nice. I love both of those uh, cities and countries. Um, uh, very friendly people in Ljubljana and uh, – it's amazing. Uh, I was there, and uh, they were behind the Iron Curtain, but you wouldn't notice when you meet the people. What What was your um, impression? Well, I've only been here all of 12 hours. Oh. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, no, it's a very welcoming place. Um, things are kind of big here. It seems like things are built on a large scale here, but overall I find it very welcoming. Lots of cafe culture. It's very sunny right now, which is nice, and lots of parks. Yeah, you're a well-traveled person. We can get back to that later, but let's talk about the obvious first. Your new book, what's it about? Brand Identity Breakthrough is about how to come up with a unique and compelling identity for your business or yourself as a professional, and then most importantly, how to communicate that to a very specific kind of person to see increased results in all your sales and your marketing and just your existence as a business entity in the marketplace. Uh -huh. And is this your first book? It is my first book. Uh, I've contributed chapters to a couple other books that people have put together on things like travel and unconventional education because I used to work as a teacher. But yeah. this is actually the first full-length book that's truly all mine. So it's sort of my baby. I wow. finally get to get my whole message you know, out in a way that I can control and exactly the way I want it to. So that feels really good to me as an author, and I think that's a sentiment that's probably echoed with a lot of other first-time authors. So – yeah. Well, uh, you know, at least my early readers all seem to appreciate that message that it's very clear and very directed and very focused. And I think that's because I'm in full control of it. Well, I got to say, I, I'm lucky enough to see it. Thanks a lot for letting me uh, work on your first copy or your advanced reader copy. And for uh, it doesn't look like a first book. It looks like a polished, professional, really high-value info piece. And I, I, I really got to say, man, that – I mean I've seen a lot of books too, and, and this is really good stuff. Um, 
I, I'm I'm really stoked that I got to work on this because uh, brand management is something that authors don't really think about a lot. You know, a lot of authors are introverts and they just want to write, and I think that's a mistake. You know, they uh, self-published authors have to. Um, I have to do the marketing too nowadays, and but I work with a lot of authors, and no, they just want to write and let somebody else do that. And I think authors really should do some brand management. Um, what? Uh, okay, I'm skipping around in the question. Sorry about that. But so, okay. wh- what about uh, what about authors and brand management? They don't really think well, about it, do they? Okay, I found, I found it. Yeah. Well, I'm actually pretty new to being an author myself, so this is all a learning experience for me too. But I guess I already get to use the label, label bestseller. I'm a, I'm a best-selling author on Amazon, you know, for whatever awesome. that's whatever that's worth. So that's a branding term I get to use. Um, I don't really imagine that brand identity as an author is very much different than any other particular industry or product because to me, whatever your business is, it all comes down to the message of who you are and what kind of value you produce. It's yeah. really an expression of the core values that you hold as an entrepreneur and why you've chosen to produce the products and services that you do, which makes you different from anyone else who produces something like that. Yeah. Uh, my background uh, comes from my love of education. As I said, I traveled the mm-hmm. world as a teacher in all kinds of crazy situations, um, and that's always been the core of everything I do mm-hmm. in sales, too, for other people. And every other kind of work I've ever done always has a core in education, and you'll see that very much in the message of the book, too. It's meant to be highly educational, very in-depth you know, it's it's not hyping yeah. people up or, or serving empty platitudes. It's about getting down to a, a structural analysis of a subject I'm very passionate about that I want to share my understanding with other people. Yeah, I'm, and and you know that comes through. I read the book and I I'm, I was refreshed. You know, all right, something new and uh, and and important. And uh, you just mentioned uh, your book is ranking number two. Um, I'm not sure of the exact rank right now because that changes hourly or so. Yeah. Uh, yesterday it was ranking number one in public relations, which I think is pretty well done considering it's still two weeks away from pre-order, and I don't see a lot of pre-order books ranking nearly that high in any category. Yeah, it's awesome. Business. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what number it's at now. I saw it at number five in small business yesterday, which is good, I think, because small business is a pretty competitive category as I understand it. So uh, yeah. I think it has a pretty good chance of staying up there for a while, assuming mm-hmm. that the people who have pre-ordered it mm-hmm. all like it. But I've got very good feedback from the advanced readers I've had. And to me, that's sort of amazing that it can get up that high because, one, I didn't know anything about book marketing when I started this. Uh, ah. Nothing. I don't uh-huh. consider myself a marketer at all, which right. is sort of the opposite of what you might expect from a guy who wrote a book on brand identity. Well, that's what I was saying. You know, authors, they just want to write. And marketing, oh, that's that dirty stuff. You yeah, know? Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, even with the progress it's had so far, somebody like me who's really a nobody, like I, you know, I've, I've made a decent amount of money in unconventional ways because I'm good at what I do, but I don't have a following of any size. But yeah. already you see my book and my name up there next mm-hmm. to Books by guys like Gary Vaynerchuk and Dan Norris. Awesome, yeah. I, I tell you what, though, um, you're going to have a following. Um, okay, uh, rule number one is build up your following, your email list before you launch your book. So I don't know if you have an email list yet, but you know that's what they all say that that they wish they would have done that sooner. From Pat Flynn to Dave Chesson, you know, uh, they all say it. So um, 
So I hope you have an email uh, um, software or some kind of platform ready because when you launch your book, you're going to get some traffic there. Yeah, yeah. I'm working behind the scenes frantically to meet that May 20th Excellent. launch date because I'm anticipating a lot of stuff going off then, and I've got some help from some very talented people to handle the stuff that I awesome. don't profess to be an expert in. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I have no qualms telling everybody this is a great book. Like, like I said, I've read a lot of books. I'm, I'm a nonfiction uh, editor, a formatter. I've done a lot. I've seen a lot, and this, this book is high quality stuff, and it's fresh too. It's, it's not boring. And we're going to get into that right now. Let's talk about your origins, your street musician days. You learned that you could sell good, or you were good with people. How was that? Okay, well, this goes back a bit, and it was actually one of the last little anecdotes I added into the book because some of the feedback. Oh, but it I was got good. My, it was good. You did that, you know. I yeah. See, and that's that's one of my flaws is that I don't put enough of my own personality into the things I write. Yeah. I keep it very theoretical, very educational. But the feedback I got from people who read it yep. early on was that I needed more personal stories explaining mm-hmm. how I came to the conclusions I did, how I learned some of the things I did. People and, love stories. Yeah. And I realized actually one of my very first experiences as an entrepreneur, learning a lot of the experimenting, putting our the guitar case out in front of us and playing some songs that we knew and seeing if people would give us money. And we got enough uh, response from that that we decided to keep going out there and doing it every weekend. And over time, you know, we actually turned it into a system for generating huge amounts of money. Like we we arranged about 50 different songs. Uh, specifically for our arrangement of guitar and violin that we knew got a really positive response from so people. Huge amounts of money. Let's let's hear it. Well, okay, it sort of depends on your definition of huge, of course. But bearing in mind we were 16 years old and having no experience whatsoever, we made up to $300 an hour just sitting out there playing on weekends. Awesome. Yeah, that was pretty reliable as long as there was yeah. enough foot traffic. Oh, that is good. But we did that, you know, not because we were the best musicians ever, you know. We were pretty good at what we did. Of course, we're pretty talented and we had a cool charisma going. But we were able to do that because we figured out the system of playing music on the street, the right times to play, the right music to play. Um, we, ex- we amplified our sound because we bought microphones and equipment. Uh, we started getting invited to play in front of restaurants and at parties. And most importantly, we had a really powerful brand narrative to us that we didn't fully realize at the time, but it's because we were so young and so ambitious and so unconventional yeah. that when people saw us playing in this way, they didn't think, oh, who are these these bums, these panhandlers trying to get our money? I'll, maybe I'll give them a sympathy dollar. They thought, wow, that's so impressive that these kids are out here of their own accord figuring out how to make money on their own in their free time with nothing but their talent, you know, yeah. and those were the comments we'd get frequently from people who would come by and either drop $20 or even $100 in the, in the guitar case, or they'd sit and, mm-hmm. and listen for a few songs, and they'd, we'd hear these same comments, the same market feedback over and over, huh. and I had no idea that I was naturally using my entrepreneurial mind to figure out how to work this situation in my advantage, but now that's essentially what I do for other businesses. So you mentioned a system uh, or process, and I love that because I'm into um, you know entrepreneur stuff too. And one of my favorite books is The Millionaire Fast Lane from M.J. DeMarco, and uh, and he has this famous quote where um, oh man, what was it? It's like the money's in the process, or the, the 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 progress is in the process in the system. It's not in the tactics or the um, the, the little things, you know. So uh, you you um, you developed a system and just kept doing it 
Well, yeah, because we would notice over time, you know, a lot of little things that could be improved, uh-huh. like certain kinds of music we could play and certain ways we could present ourselves certain times of day, certain days of the year, like when they're uh-huh. more yeah. south. And we, we structured our whole presentation all around that. And eventually we even had a few different spots we would play it and we'd figured out the right, you know, frequency of when to play it, which spot to maximize the amount of money for the time we were putting in. So now me right now, I'm thinking, hey, that's a product. You, you, you put a video up or whatever on Gumroad and to the street musicians and say, hey, this is how it's done. You yeah, know? you know, it's to this day, 10 years later, you know, I travel a lot and everywhere you go, you see people singing or playing music or doing something on the street. Yeah. I cannot help but mentally critique since <laughs> yeah. when I see them, I think, now he, sh- he should not be playing that kind of music. No, he should not be dressed like that because I know automatically what would get a better response from people. Yeah, and there's another famous quote about that too. What was it? If it's not measured, it's not uh, done or you got you are what you measure, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, so then um, I noticed uh, somewhere in your book you said that, uh, that then um, you weren't young anymore. Uh, and so then uh, you had to adapt or something because this- – Yeah, what, what ultimately happened, and this really drives the point home, that it was more about the story mm-hmm. than, than it was about the music itself, uh, mm-hmm. to, to use the phrase, you know, the singer, not the song. Um, as we got older, we did this less and less, but eventually we tried to go back out there a couple of years later when we were both in town and do the same thing that we knew we could do so well that we had perfected. The only difference with us being a few years older and looking older and having facial hair <laughs> and all those wonderful things that come with adulthood. Yeah. And we got maybe 10% of the response. Wow. Right? Yeah. And the only – I mean – the only major variable that changed is that we were older, and with that, the whole narrative changes. Now we're adults who should be <laughs> in college or at working behind desks at jobs, yeah. and instead we're wasting our time here on weekends trying to rip people off <laughs> just for playing simple songs on our instruments. The yeah, whole narrative changes because of that yeah. one contextual change. That must have hurt, you know, going from these talented kids to, oh, what the hell are you doing on my street, you know? <laughs> right, you know, but and that's. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be the same for every business. Most businesses aren't run by 16-year-olds, for example. But whatever it is for your business, you've got to figure out the most appealing aspect of that identity and that narrative and use that fully to your advantage. And most people don't know what that is because they don't talk to their okay, audience. Let's, let's talk about that. Uh, you have this section, can you tell a good story? So how do you get that narrative going or tell the story? Right. Can you tell a good story? That's actually the first chapter in the book in the section on why identity matters. Mm-hmm. And that is essentially the crux of the whole message of the book. It's that, you know, merely having value, being good at something or having a product that does something is completely irrelevant because it relies upon people seeing that value. Right? It being communicated in a meaningful way that actually gets people to pay attention and gets them to accept this thing you're trying to convince them of, that what I'm doing is good and you should appreciate it. Right? Yeah. And as every good teacher or salesman knows, you know, just talking, listing facts, saying this is good for X, Y, and Z, I'm the best there ever was for all these reasons, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. That's not how people take in and retain information. Right. right. You have to write and talk in a way that uses principles like narrative, that tells something that activates the emotions and structures changes over time. That's how people listen. That's okay, so for our newbies out there, uh, okay, 
Well, you just said it kind of. How do you do that? Uh, another example maybe, a concrete example? Well, I, I'm a movie guy. I watch a lot of movies, yeah. and I talk about this in the book too. The reason why I like watching movies, even really bad ones, is because I really like seeing how directors choose to tell stories mm-hmm. and at what point a movie becomes good or bad. Right, that you can watch and you can tell. Well, this scene clearly goes on too long, or this is really boring, or there's not enough exposition. Right. There should be an action scene here, or all these things that are almost universally agreed upon, which make a movie good or bad. It's because right. it's, it relates to how our brain takes in information and what we're expecting to happen next, and what keeps our interest. And that doesn't just apply to stories like books or movies. It applies to everything in the way you present yourself or even a very technical subject, even science or or anything like that. If you don't present information in a way that keeps Mm -hmm. the mind naturally engaged, like the way that a good story is supposed to, you're going to lose people. Or even if you can get them to memorize information long enough to take a test or something, they're not going to really have a deeply rooted understanding or a vivid mental picture of what you're about do you have any shortcuts like uh how do you start uh what's a good start to a story or maybe in your street uh music days you had a a certain line or you know do you have any standardized starts or something like that well i'm not a big fan of memorizing lines i'm Uh a big big fan of doing what works and nothing works the same in every possible situation okay um but as a general rule you know people like progress they like growth they like things that change in a beneficial way they like uh characters uh, individuals that overcome obstacles because they're passionate enough to keep going when things are difficult Mm -hmm. and things have to be related in some way to something that they do care about right so i don't know to use the the street musician example uh, i can tell you for sure a lot of the people who gave us big tips did so because they were either parents themselves and they had children or teenagers and they were it was refreshing to them to see someone the same age as their son or daughter doing something so unconventional and entrepreneurial like this. They'd say things like that. They'd even make like comparisons like, oh, my son just uh, goofs around all day and does drugs, and you guys are out here doing <laughs> this cool stuff. I wish you were more ambitious like you, right? Like, yeah. So instantly our story is relating to something they're already invested in. Or we'd play a lot of old rock and roll music like the Beatles and Led Zeppelin stories that our older audience had songs that our older audience had grown up with and they had a nostalgic appeal to so instantly it activates some core emotions within them whatever you're selling you know if you expect people to want to pay attention to it it has to somehow fit into something they already care about it has to have a direct relation to it okay yeah so you have to find that right for your person your company your brand and then and that, and that means you have to know yourself and your audience equally well. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes from the book is, there is no faster way to garner the lasting respect of employees, partners, and consumers than to become the embodiment of an ideal. So how do you do that? Uh, that is a line I sort of paraphrase from the movie Man of Steel, the yeah. Man reboot. I'm a, sort of a bit of a geek for mythology, especially as it applies to superheroes, because I think they are very good representations in the modern day of 
major themes, major principles, especially characters like Batman and Superman that have gone beyond just being characters, and they actually become synonymous with ideas, like Superman is synonymous with the idea of hope or salvation, right? When you see that character, that's what you think of. You don't think of the man, you think of hope and salvation. Batman right. is fear and justice for, for criminals, right? Yeah. Uh, and there's a line in that movie where Superman's Kryptonian dad is explaining to him why he sent him to Earth, so where he would have superpowers and what his purpose was. And he says he wanted to give humans an ideal to strive towards and that his son Superman would become that ideal. And that's sort of the purpose of any brand, if you think about it. I even mentioned in the book that Superman has one of the most successful brand personalities in all of history because everyone around the world recognizes Superman, but they don't just recognize the character. Again, they recognize what the character represents. When they see the S in the shield, they're thinking of all the good things Superman stands for, not just the character, the man, Superman. And every passionate entrepreneur, again, I specifically want to say that this is intended for people who have real passion behind their business, not people just producing something to make a profit. Not that there's anything wrong with that, as long as you're not cheating anyone. (laughs) But people who are really passionate about what they do, it's never just as deep as the physical thing they produce or the actual service they provide. It's Mm -hmm. about what inspired them to start the company. It's about what it is they're trying to accomplish accomplish meaningful change in the world by producing what they do. And there's a whole set of emotions and ideals and values that go with that. And your goal with your brand, again, whether it's just you or you have an actual business with many people, should be that when people think of you and your brand, they think of those ideals, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I'm passionate about education. Like anyone who knows me knows that instantly. That I'm the guy who likes to explain how things work. I like teaching people. I like empowering them. I like helping them improve. So yeah. hopefully, more and more people will associate those ideals with me because that is truly what I stand for. That's why I do everything I do. That's one of the things I liked about your book because um, I uh, I've seen a lot of. of- of books in the nonfiction and business entrepreneurs and, and branding and the branding books that I've seen weren't very impressive they were quite boring actually and so so um, what that, that part you just said about embodying an ideal you want them to think of these ideals when they see you or your product right yes so um, yeah, that's one of the things that got me is I never thought of that before, you know, and I guess that's called owning your market, you know, like, uh, uh, I don't know, McDonald's owns hamburgers or something, you know, and uh, uh, but the way you put it uh, made more sense, actually. Uh, so that's uh, should be like um, one of the prime targets or, or, or things that uh, a branding uh, a, a person should do is, is figure out what ideals they want to be. Yeah, and even McDonald's, you know, you may think of just cheap fast food hamburgers when you think of them, as most people probably do, but they do try to add more to that. I mean, their tagline, uh, I don't know if it still is because I don't pay attention to them currently, but at one point it was, I'm loving it, right? Or we love to see you smile, some variation of those two things. And that's supposed to make you feel happy, right? Like that the reason the company exists is to make you happy, right? I'm not sure many people actually buy into that, but at least that's yeah. their goal, right? It's to move beyond just cheap hamburgers that we produce, but to making you happy, right? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, well, this is definitely stuff that most authors don't think about. I'm pretty sure about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, that's, you know, that's some pretty heavy stuff there. 
So uh, let's get to the next favorite quote of mine, how to educate your audience. The greater the meaning behind your business, the harder it becomes to communicate it to the world. That seems like um, almost a no-win situation. Well, it means you have a bigger job ahead of you, uh, which sort of falls back into that narrative thing I was talking about before, that passionate people have to go through obstacles that stand between them and their goals, and that's part of what we like in a story. Mm-hmm. And if you have a lot of passion behind your business and there's a lot of meaning behind the things you produce, you have a bigger job in explaining all those things to people who aren't instantly going to get it. The newer what you produce is, the more true that is because there's a bigger gap that has to be bridged between what people already understand and what you want them to understand. A lot of people, when they think of branding and marketing and USPs, unique selling propositions or anything like that, yeah. I think they think back to a little bit simpler time when – Businesses were associated with just one adjective or one feature. (laughs) The example I use in the book is Domino's 30 minutes delivery or it's free, which I think stopped a long time ago. Right, I remember that. Yeah, they they finally ran somebody over (laughs) and got sued. Yeah, I don't know. Or they kept – people kept making impossible delivery calls and taking advantage of the system or something. But for a long time, they were synonymous with that one feature, which you may notice has nothing to do with the quality of the pizza. Not, it's not good yep. pizza in 30 minutes or free or pizza made with these kinds of ingredients or pizza made by hand in, in artisanal ovens or anything like that. It's your pizza will be there in 30 minutes or it's free. And that is the one thing you associate with them. And you decide, okay, I'm really hungry. I want to eat pizza within the next 30 minutes. I know who to call, right? That's the one feature they have become associated with. And yeah. I don't think that approach works nearly as well today as it used to, and especially not for small businesses that are trying to have a much more intimate kind of relationship dynamic with their customers. You can't do that with more complex, meaningful products because there's a much bigger story to be told than just it'll be there faster or it's better or it's cheaper or it's stronger. And I don't think that's what passionate small business owners should be striving towards anyway, just dominating the market because you've got a a monopoly on one particular term that people were searching for, right? Yeah. And this doesn't just apply to business and entrepreneurs. I mean, history is full. Anytime there's a major change in thinking, anytime new ideas come around, scientists, philosophers, artists, inventors, whatever it is, if what you do is too far ahead of what people are used to doing, you're probably going to be ignored. Or you might even be scorned. They might kill you if, if what you do yeah. is, is so different than what people are willing to accept. At least they used to. Hopefully not, that's not happening as much as it used to. You know, yeah. and then, and then sometimes it's generations later that we look back on guys like Newton and Galileo and we say, wow, these guys yeah. were really onto something. We just yeah. weren't ready yeah. for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really quiet right now because I'm getting so many ideas uh, listening to you and re- reading your book. So for example, uh, my 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 business or my website is totally schizophrenic. Basically, you know, I've got I've got you know all of these little little products for free to help uh, authors get their book on Amazon. And then I'm I'm thinking about the longer narrative, right? Because right, learning how to write a good book and a fascinating book is a lifelong journey. And then you've got all the little tools on the way to help you make the book. And and uh, so I'm I'm just thinking about all these things right now that I could do. And that's was really cool about your book. It will really make you think. Uh, okay, enough about me. <laughs> I really like your questions at the end of the book because uh, uh, you know I'm into science and all that stuff, and it's all about asking the right questions, right? 
So your guide at the end of the, the book really cuts to the chase. And, uh, uh, well, can you elaborate on that? Well, I like questions, too. And I think that's that's really the crux of it. The work I do individually with people revolves around questioning and introspection. You know, and, and it's not just asking a question. It has to be the right kind of question that actually can lead to meaningful answers. And then it's sort of encouraging and even in a way forcing someone to sit with that question until a meaningful answer emerges. Because any question will have easy answers the first time you ask it, right? The first thing that pops into your head. But if you can f repeat that question and tell someone that their answer is, is bullcrap, yeah. And and that that's not really what you're looking for and you need them to dig deeper. People are going to go going to go further than they would have gone on their own. It's like having a personal trainer at the gym to sort of encourage you like, you know, do do one more rep. I know you can do it, right? People need that a lot too with their own ideas about their businesses or what they're trying to do with what they're producing, right? Mm -hmm. And then it if you do this well enough and you know when to apply the gas and when to pump the brakes with someone, you can see very clearly when they get through to a breakthrough point where suddenly they phrase something in just the right way that they had never thought of before or they, yeah. they, they think back and try to remember why they started their business the way they did or who they've had the most success with and, and that light bulb moment happens and you can see, oh – that's why I do things the way I do in my business. Or, oh, that's why we've had the success we've had so far, right? Yeah. Everything I ask is designed to make them think differently about something they think they already understand and to see it from an outsider's perspective. Yeah, that, you know, the light bulb moment and, and the questions. Uh, e excellent example is authors. I ask authors sometimes, answer this question. Why should somebody read your book? And, and they don't know. Okay, you should answer that question before you write the book, right? And you would be astounded at how many authors can't answer that question, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, so when people start, um, ah, I'm assuming you're you're working with with uh, companies and brands now, right? I I go in spurts between working very heavily and taking a lot of time off and focusing on other projects. So but yeah, the, I've worked with a lot of people in a lot of countries. So the first thing you do is grill them with these questions. Right. Well, because I have to understand them, and I can't mm -hmm. understand them if they don't understand themselves first. Yeah, so exactly. It's exactly. For both of us. Yeah. Yeah. That's and uh, yeah, that, that really uh, works. Uh, that was one of my favorite parts of the book because, um, like said. Um, before you start a book, if, so this is an authoring podcast, okay? So for all the authors out there, before you write your book, sit down and answer the question, why should somebody read your book? Or why is your book interesting or, or better than others, you know? And uh, yeah, A book is a product in the end, just like anything else that might be produced in a factory. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, so, um, oh, I kind of touched on my stuff on my website and all that. Uh, did you have any... Um, uh, <laughs> any suggestions from from my brand? Let me find my answer to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there it is. You don't have to sugarcoat it. I, I'm used to this. So. <laughs> Do you want to ask the question again? No. Well, um, I, I already said that my website is pretty schizophrenic. I mean, I mean, like I said, I've got all sorts of free stuff and then some pay stuff, and uh, so that's why when I saw your book, I said, man, I got to work on my brand. So I don't know if you. you, you you could, uh, if you had any like uh, critique or quick suggestions for my brand. Well, when most people ask for a critique of their website, mm 
mm-hmm. uh, they're asking about the visuals, like the layout and the design, yeah. and the logo and the colors. And I'm definitely not the guy for that. I am, yeah. I'm not the visual designer. Like I, I can tell when something works and when it doesn't, you know, or when certain emotions are present when they're not. But I'm not the guy to tell you how to crop a photo or design a logo or anything like that. But what I am the guy for and what I can tell you about is your overall narrative. And what right. I see when I when I read your website or or just the story that you are trying to engage people with with mm-hmm. your company, ZBooks. Yeah. And I'm biased, of course, because now I've communicated with you quite a bit and I've worked with you to help with yeah. my book. So I'm not seeing you truly from the perspective of an outsider. Right. But you know, what it seems to me is that you're trying to come across as the guy who helps independent authors get the same results and advantages of working through a traditional publisher without having to work through traditional publisher and still keeping the power in their own hands of everything they create, right? Yeah, that's um, okay. I like that. <laughs> yeah, and that's just what I get by talking to you and looking at your website, so let me know if I'm incorrect. No, no, no. Um, it's sort of that, appro- that appeal to like the, the underdog who's trying to make it on his own and just needs tools mm-hmm. and resources he doesn't have on mm-hmm. his own or skills, things he's not familiar with. Right, and you have services listed on there that sort of explain that. But again, that's sort of that technical uh, feature description of I do X, Y, and Z. And so I can look at that and say, okay, if I need that, I'll keep that in mind. But that has really has nothing to do with the larger story and the emotions you're trying to represent. But then as I read through your site um, last time, uh, one thing that really stood out to me was certain phrases that are actually more descriptive probably than you realize. Things like you, you talk about do-it-yourselfers. On your right. site, like yeah, I like to help the do-it-yourselfers, or you describe yourself as a do-it-yourselfer, right. and that's the kind of phrase that instantly paints a picture of the kind of person you're trying to talk to, right? Because when someone like me sees something like that, I can instantly say, "Oh, that's exactly who I am. I have always yeah. been that guy. I've always been the lone wolf struggling mm-hmm. to figure things out on my own and and make order out of chaos because I'm a smart guy, but sometimes I need guidance and I need help with the things I don't understand, and mm-hmm. so." Something like that, not necessarily just that, but terms like that, phrases, mental pictures, could probably be made a much start, stronger part of your brand appeal. Ah, you're the guy who assists do-it-yourselfers trying to get their message out on their own and want to want to do it on their own and, and maintain control of yeah. of their book as they do it, right? Mm-hmm. You so know, that's and, why and, you're the brand manager. Yeah, I, well, I wouldn't notice that, but yeah. It's always helpful to have an outside perspective. You know, I, I get help from other people with my own brand because even though I'm good at helping other people with this, I can't necessarily look at myself with the same objective eyes. Okay, but give me some negative, negative stuff. Is there any uh, or gaping weaknesses or terrible somethings? Uh, I can take it. I used to be an artist, so I've, I've done this stuff before, and the negative critique is sometimes okay too. Um, <laughs> okay, you don't have to. You like, don't have to invent something. Okay, <laughs> if you don't want to, it's all right. <laughs> looking at your site now for the first thing that that pops up. No, I don't. No, don't don't worry about the website. I mean, uh, that's. Uh, I don't expect you to be a web designer. You know. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would just say the biggest thing is I don't immediately understand what you're offering on your site. Okay. I get a general concept of book marketing and 
some of the services, but there's nothing immediately there that, that tells me, oh, this is who this guy is, like your story, so I get in a sense of your identity, and then the second part that follows after that, this is how he can help me, the specific kind of yep. person I am. You know, And any general advice that I would give to anyone, again, regardless of what industry they're in, is that there are certain things that should be at the forefront of everything you do. Oh, that's a pretty big uh, deficiency, though, if somebody goes to my website and doesn't know what I'm offering. You know, yeah, but you're, it's not just thinking that of that in terms of the services or the mm-hmm. product you offer, because first I have to be in, enticed enough to want to continue the conversation with you, and that's not just something about websites. If yeah. we were talking in person and we met in an elevator or mm-hmm. or anywhere I was promoting my business, I have to first be engaged enough to continue the conversation with you to the point where you can say to me, "Hey, by the way, if you give me a hundred bucks, I'll do." <laughs> You, right? Yeah. I, I yeah. Need the conversation with that unless I've already asked for it for some other yeah. reason. Right? But ah, you have to yeah. focus on who you are and in all your presentations to me. That's what I call your brand personality, which talks about a lot mm-hmm. of the things I talked about before. What you're specifically offering, which is products right. and services, most people understand them. Right. And then why a specific type of person should care. And that's your target demographic with you. It's those do-it-yourselfers, those underdogs, as I was describing before, and possibly right. some other things too. And then that can all be brought together into that overall company narrative, that story that should be obvious the moment I begin talking to you. See, that's that's why you're the brand manager. So, so I got these things, and I'm calling them uh, the three or four pillars of brand management. Now, focus on who you are. One, two, what you offer. Three, why a specific type of person should care about you or your product, and then you make that into a really attractive company narrative. That that's a cool formula, if you ask me. Yeah, again, it's it works. 99% of the time, everybody needs something a little different, but that's the essence of it, as far as I can yeah. tell. You gotta solve a specific kind of problem, you gotta solve it in a specific way, you gotta solve it for a specific kind of person, and you gotta solve it mm-hmm. as a specific person. And I think that last step is especially where people really stop paying attention. They neglect themselves, which in some ways is the most important part. Which step was that exactly? You gotta solve that problem as a specific person. You solve it for a specific person and as a specific person. Yeah, that's that's going to be a challenge, isn't it? For for newbies like me that didn't even think about brand management, you know. <laughs> and you know, and I'm guilty of it too. It took yeah. me way too long to write my first book because I'm honestly not a very uh, outgoing person. I'm an introvert. I didn't really want to be in the spotlight. Oh man, I would have I would have kicked your butt into a new book if I met, would have met you ten years ago. You know. <laughs> okay, but hey, at least you wrote it now. All right. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Um, moving along, I thought that story or the stories about your experiences in China were really interesting uh, because I have a lot of friends that went to China and they were all disappointed. And um, I don't know if they were going to go learn Kung Fu or Tai Chi or what, whatever. You know, uh, one of my friends was an engineer. And uh, uh, so what about your experiences there? I was working as a teacher in China. Uh, I I did not enjoy the process too much because everything I talked about before about my passion for education and seeing people grow and especially children helping them learn and become emotionally well adjusted, um, none of that applied to my teaching experience in China. It was the hmm. complete opposite because what is called education in public schools in China is more like a factory for producing obedient Chinese citizens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Twelve hours. At least That's for most. sad. Is it like rote? 
learning by growth. I can't even begin to describe it in a way that would relate to how Americans think of schooling. Because is this <laughs> old style communism or just old traditional? It's. I you know I don't I can't comment very much on the political situation there because I, I'm just not informed well enough. But I can tell you, the way that children are raised there is is brainwashing. It's not child rearing. It's just programming of children. You know, it's just being told exactly how to think, how to act, and to be obedient to your parents and your government. And it was the exact opposite of everything I'm passionate about as an educator. So it's like a step down from North Korea or something, you know. <laughs> Well, I think the difference between China and North Korea is that China is very good at what it does. It's very organized. It's enormous, right? It's a machine operating with an enormous amount of efficiency. Hmm. That's true of North Korea. So this is what me and my friends are always wondering about Germany. Uh, we, I have some British friends here, and uh, Germany is the powerhouse of Europe. And uh, we're always saying, well, how do the hell do they do it? You know, their uh, their government's a shambles now. And uh, I'm always saying, well, it was because Bismarck, you know, he made such a solid foundation, and they're still riding on that. that that's just my idea. But um, is it uh, is China? You know, they they had Confucius. They think in terms of thousands of years, and us Westerners think of terms in like five minutes. You know, is it, did you catch any of that, is, or is that just t- total baloney? There's, there's definitely a sense of of the, the knowledge of you know, history going back a long time, because of course that's part of how they maintain their culture and how they're controlled, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They're uh-huh. part of the Chinese Empire, which goes back thousands of years, right? That's uh-huh. how you build that cultural pride, you know, for yeah. better or for worse. Mm-hmm. And what about the blank check story? Uh, yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> this is Sorry, it's almost painful to remember this situation, but it's, it did teach me – no, it did teach me a very valuable lesson, which again sort of became a core part of my, my activities as an entrepreneur that yeah. as I was preparing to leave China because I realized that my situation was not going to improve and I was never going to get what I wanted out of it. I was in, in emotional shambles at this time. It was not a good time for me. Um, yeah, I, it was too much to take in. Like I just wasn't ready for that existential crisis at the time. Was it West versus East or, or? – No, it was just it was just everything that was a representation of the opposite of everything I stand for as a person. It was a total belief system just Complete shaken. destruction of who I am as a person. That's <laughs> to put it. Yeah. Spiritual suicide. Wow. And, um, as I was preparing to leave, I had just started tutoring in English this um, 13-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. For a few weeks, we were working together just when I had free time outside my main jobs. Mm-hmm. And as I was preparing to leave, I'd already bought the plane ticket, in fact. And then I told them that the next time we met, this is going to be our last session because I'm flying out of here tomorrow because, as I've already told you, I'm miserable here. I should not be here any longer. Anyway, your kid's really great. She's really smart. I think she'll be fine. I'm sure you'll be able to find another English tutor. Yeah. And as I do this, they freaked out. Right. They they said, what? No, 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 no. You can't leave, right? And they took me out to lunch, and, and the mother basically – begged me and told me she'll pay me whatever salary I require and I can come live with them, but she just wants me to stay and work with, with her daughter and her other kid too to teach them English full time. Basically, anytime they weren't in school, she wanted them working with me to get fluent in English. Hmm. And I was totally like taken aback by this because, well, for one thing, 
I had never seen that level of appreciation before my entire time while I was in China, yet I'd only experienced the opposite up to this point. And two, there are tons of English teachers in China. A lot of Americans and people from other English-speaking countries go over there to work because it's it's a guaranteed job, basically. There's so much uh, jobs here. Yeah. Uh, and what I had realized was, as she told me more, is that for years they had been planning on immigrating to the United States. Yeah. And planning and saving up, and they were a very wealthy family, and going through it's a very difficult process, apparently, for a Chinese person to immigrate to the United States, let alone a whole family. And part of that was that their kids, both of them, needed to be fluent in English in order to get enrolled in American schools and complete the immigration process. Yeah. And the years that they had been taking English classes in school and working with private tutors, they were still very, very basic English speakers and writers. And she told me that in the few weeks we'd been working together, she'd seen more progress than in the years leading up to that point. That's and that, nice. Yeah. I'm a really good teacher, and I, part of, you know, that's part of what I do. I'm very good at connecting. So with then, how long did you, did you write that check? How long did you stay I, or extend your journey? Four months, and I worked with them, and it was very rewarding. But the point is that I realized immediately that even, you know, ostensibly the English teaching market is huge there, right? Yeah. 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 But. The market for what I specifically was providing them, I was completely unique. There was no one else that they knew of, maybe in the entire country, but certainly not in their city that they knew of, who could have the exact same kind of interaction and obvious development, both emotionally and intellectually, with their kids that I was having. And that's why she was so desperate, desperate and willing to pay any price to keep me. Wow. And that's true. Anytime you are able to appeal to a very, very specific problem someone has that they are desperate for just the right solution for, not just yeah. any solution that will kind of work, but something completely specific to their situation. Yeah, well, that, you know, a blank check was pretty powerful, you know. So. No, it's, it's too bad I don't want to be an English teacher for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that's an, one of the many interesting stories in your books, and, um, I'm just kind of jumping around here. Are you going to make any more books? Absolutely. Awesome. Uh, I've, I've had a very good experience with this first one. It was yeah. – well, it, it's sort of a long story. It, 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 I learned a lot from many mistakes I made along the way. Mm -hmm. But I think I've already gotten a very positive market response from this. The people who have read it all have told me very glowing things that it really yeah. helped a lot too. And it's really become an outlet for me to get a lot of these ideas that I have, a lot of experiences that I have out on paper. You know, my experience goes into many other areas too, beyond just branding. In fact, I would say if anything, um, you know, the title is Brand Identity Breakthrough. Yeah. And for me, really the important part is the word identity. Right? I see this book as my understanding of the concept of identity as applied to brands, as applied to business. And so uh, I'd like to explore more of that as as applied to other things, too, as applied to how we raise our children, mm -hmm. uh, how we have romantic relationships, how we love other people, yeah. and just sort of the act of living. Really, what makes uh -huh. you you? Why so, do you do things you do? Why do you care about what you care about? So, uh, yeah, let's, what's in the immediate future for you, then? Are these the projects you're talking about? Yes. Um, I'm actually turning the content of Brand Identity Breakthrough into an online course through ah, excellent. A, a very great group of people called Monetize Your Expertise run by a, a man named Grant Weherly. We share a lot of the same ideas, too, so that's why we were eager to work together when he read the book, too. 
to turn it into an online course. Cool. Yeah. Um, and that will be available probably at the same time as launch, assuming we're still on schedule for that. Yeah. And other than that, you know, I still like working with people in the branding and the sales side mm-hmm. of things, helping people come up with systems and communication strategies and, and just different ways to present their specific products. But I really, at this point, only want to do it with people who sort of fit that same criteria I have of being very passionate about what they do, not yeah. just for the money it produces. Again, nothing wrong with money. I love money. I think right. we should strive to make as much money as they possibly can in an ethical way. But people who, who produce what they do because they actually want to make some kind of positive, meaningful change in the world. So that's it's not limited to just specific things, but it often has to do with personal development or education or health or social development of some kind or just anything that increases a person's ability to live and act well in the world, personal sovereignty, wealth, whatever yeah. it is. I don't just want to produce widgets in a factory or help. <laughs> yeah, so, of course. You know, feel free to contact if you're a widget producer and we'll talk. But <laughs> yeah. Manage his widget brand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, we got a lot of stuff. I could, I mean, I could talk to you for hours. So, if you could do it all over again, what would you do differently? That is sort of a trick question, of course. Ah. <laughs> because you know, if I had done it differently, who knows? Who knows how things would have turned out? Of course, um, there were definitely a lot of things that could have been done better, um, and things, in fact, that almost stopped me entirely during the, the process of producing and publishing and marketing hmm. the book. Um, it's a very unfortunate part of my origin story as an uh, author. You want to talk about the five grand? <laughs> yes. Uh, it's, it's sort of become common knowledge now among the people who know me. Cause it I, makes I, me I, feel better when, when I hear about how other people got ripped off. I've never, you know, not, not with books at least. Yeah, so the way, the way this book started was that about a year ago, actually over a year ago, it was last April, uh-huh. um, I was in contact with a woman named Shola Abadoy. She runs a company called ConvertPort, and we were both members of an online entrepreneur group called the Dynamite Circle. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know yeah. if you're familiar with them. Um, and she made the offer to me after we talked a few times to help me turn my ideas and my experiences into a book, mm-hmm. uh, publish it, and then market it till it became bestseller status, right? And the goal was, wasn't really to make a lot of money with it because there's – it was more about getting the message out there and sort of branding me as the guy who has this message and the things I can do and the things I stand for. Mm-hmm. She offered me all this for 5000 bucks, which although that was certainly the most amount of money I've ever spent on my own brand before, I didn't consider yeah. it an exorbitant price for the, what she was promising. I thought right. it was a very fair Right. She was promising so much. And she really sounded like she knew what she was talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, um, that didn't work out. She ended up not being able to do any of the things that she claimed she was able to do. Uh, I'm I'm not sure at exactly what point she made the decision to stop working on the project entirely and let the the dispute timeline run out on PayPal. She let it go past six months, so she knew I couldn't raise a dispute. And Uh then... That's not cool. Yeah, she essentially wasted nine months of my time and gave me almost nothing to show for it besides helping me come up with the title and interviewing me a few times and and little things like a book cover. I mean, stuff that I could have spent a few hundred dollars on and gotten the same result and not wasted nine months of my time. And then she dropped all contact with me and tried to pretend that I never hired her to do the things that I hired her to do. That is not cool. That was, uh, you know, $5,000 is one thing. It's certainly not all the money I have in the world. 
Yeah. It's, it's enough to care about it when you lose it. But more importantly than that was just the emotional sense of betrayal I got mm-hmm. from yeah. that. Yeah. Really so it just in his mind, it's like, what is the freaking point, man? Like when I try to put myself out there, when I start hiring people for for more expensive services than I ever have before, when I start taking bigger chances because I have something I'm yeah. more passionate about doing, this kind of crap happens, and I just yeah. completely get conned, and I feel like a rube. You know, I feel. Like I wish you would have talked to me. I would have. I would have totally told you go with Tyler Wagner or Tim Grawl. Uh, Tim Grawl is a, more like ten thousand dollars. Tyler Wagner is also has a. And they would have. They would have taken care of you, man. Should have talked to me first. I didn't know you, man. You know, but I and I just had to go through this, and I sort of had to process those emotions. That, that okay, sucks. Well, five grand. That I, hurts. I, I could have quit at that point because I had almost no work done on the book after God. all the reading, except the basic outline I had gone through with with Shola. Yeah. And it would have been very easy to just stop working on it at that point, and yeah. well, I got screwed over. There's nothing I can do. But instead, I said, well. I know I still want to write this book, you know. I, st- I know I still have a really me- good message to get out there. Yeah. So I, you know, and I am a writer. You know, I'd written a lot of articles before and helped other people write things before. Yeah. So I knew knew the basics of how to put a book together, how to put enough words together on a page. And so I just doing that, I got a, a group of beta readers to help me critique it. You know, help me awesome. polish it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, a lot of people when they when they heard that I'd been ripped off for five grand and trying to publish my first book, they offered to help me. I did, you know, I wasn't mm-hmm. for sympathy, certainly right. not for charity, but a lot of people who had skills and, and perspective and information mm-hmm. were to help me. Um, so that only helps, you know, jumpstart mm-hmm. in the right direction. And but talking, it, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, eventually I was able to turn like those, that rough draft into yeah. the book that I have now with the help of people who helped me critique it and set up my website and all that. Awesome. But I didn't understand the part about PayPal because um, that's why a lot of my customers like PayPal because you have 28 or 30 days to revoke a payment and there's nothing the other person can do about it. You know, you see- Six months if it's sent on a business invoice to raise a dispute. Uh-huh. I mean it's not, not instantly reversed, but you can raise the dispute and say to PayPal, oh, this person didn't deliver what they said they would and then they'll look at right. it and possibly right. arbitrate. But she told me up until the six-month mark that she was still working really hard on it. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Like we're gonna launch next week, you know. Like she was giving me specific days that when I was gonna go up on Amazon, and you know, I have emails and recordings, you know. Oh, so I'm stuff. oh that is she, that is sucks. Like she's, a politician who goes over budget. No, it's, it was extremely distressing to me at the time. But you know, I just I just said, well, I can either let this destroy me, or I can just work through this obstacle because the passion is stronger than the obstacle, right? It's yeah. back to that. That narrative thing, that origin story we like to hear in people, and that's the obstacle I had to overcome, right? So I studied yeah. as much. I wish it would have been $5,000 cheaper, though, you know. Well, sometimes you got to pay for that kind of education. What can I say? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it did that incentive to, to put all that time into studying, you know, not just how to write a book, but how to actually make it look like a book, how to publish it, how to get enough people to pay attention to it. And I don't consider myself an expert book marketer by any regard, but my book did get to the number one spot in at least one category. Did you take two. a screenshot? Of course I did. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah. screenshot. How's anyone going to believe you? Exactly. I uh, I launched a book a couple of weeks ago, one that I kind of had in the back pocket, and uh, and it got up to number two, and then and then I had to go to sleep. It was one in the morning. It was, oh, I'll never know. I'll never know. Darned it, you know. 
And uh, so, yeah, so you got that screenshot right on, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, again, you ask what would I would do differently. Uh, you know, I, mm-hmm. as crappy as it was the way that it happened, you know, it's it's unlikely that I ever would have written the book that I have now had I not gone through that specific series yeah. of experiences. So in a way, you know, I, I finally got my money's worth <laughs> from what I paid her just in a very, very bad way. You know, and, and that means also I probably wouldn't write the next books that I'm going to write on things like education and, mm-hmm. and development that are very close to me if I hadn't written this first book. Right. I guess if I had to do any one thing differently, it's just that I would have started sooner. Like I said, you know, now that I have done this first book and it's finally out there and looks yeah. like a real book, and at least some people think it's pretty good, you know, I realize yeah. it's not that difficult for me to write more books, right? This is something yeah. I should yeah. start doing a long time ago. It's just that learning curve was always there, and I didn't trust myself enough to make these kinds of decisions, hence hiring someone in the first place, right? Yeah, yeah. I wanted someone to be able to hold my hand and walk me through the process. This is something that I find hard to understand because I never had a problem writing books or publishing books on Amazon. It's, it's, that's how I got into it, just for fun, you know. And uh, and but yeah, a lot of people are afraid to write a book and publish it. Uh, I don't get it. <laughs> it's just because there's so many unknowns. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know how to get from the idea in your head, or even if you right. have words on paper, you don't know how that becomes a real book. There are just too many things along the way that could go wrong. But now that you've done one, it's super easy, right? Well, I'm not going to say it's super easy. There's still a lot of stuff you got to learn, especially on the marketing part yeah. of it. But I feel like I understand it well enough now that I feel totally confident turning any other idea as I have into a book and publishing them. Yeah. 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 Well, that's the thing about self-publishing. You got to be the master of all trades, not the jack, the master. And uh, you were talking about bestsellers, and I, I think soon Amazon will make what will be more important than New York Times. Uh, there are so many articles on the net now about how it's, it's such a scam to get on the New York Times bestsellers list, and uh, mm-hmm. and how they, and how they count the books too, how they count on specific days or only in certain shops and stuff, and. Uh, I think maybe was it Tim Ferriss is uh, was a was an example. He sold more books than any New York Times bestseller ever sold, you know, and but didn't make the list because he was publishing in Amazon and New York Times does not count Amazon, you know. Uh, even I don't even think they count the physical books in Amazon. So I, I think someday we'll we'll reach the point when nobody cares about the other lists. That Amazon is the de facto bookseller of the world already, you know. But uh, so yeah, I think your book is going to do. Really good. But um, I want to get back into this international stuff one more time before we, we talk about your book. And because that really interests me, I'm also an expat, digital nomad type guy. And uh, you've had all these case studies in your book. And now that you've traveled 40 countries, right, 40, uh, which one do you think is the Best balance between taxes, taxes, number one for me, uh, I'm, I'm one of those libertarian guys, uh, borderline anarchist. <laughs> what is the, what country is the best balance between taxes, rights and freedoms and just, I don't know, living standards or something for you? That's a really difficult question to yes, ask. Yes, exactly. Um, to ask answer. the right questions, right? <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, because, yeah, every place does have its strengths and weaknesses, and none of them are perfect from every conceivable angle. Um, so I've been to, you know, all over the map, the literal map, the globe. Um, 
And some places I loved, some places I hated, and for completely different reasons. I, uh, for lifestyle, I immediately fell in love with Latin America, which was actually the first part of the world I explored outside the U.S. Places like Mexico, Nicaragua, Costa Rica. I bought some property in uh, the Valley of Southern Ecuador, where that's sort of my early retirement plan. But it's not safe there, right? Americans are, oh, it's not safe there, right? Oh, an entire continent is is unsafe because they speak <laughs> Spanish, right? Yeah. 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 No, it's um, it's actually some of the most peaceful places on earth that I know of, actually, and that's that's another actually it's an example I use in the book of how people's ideas about things, the narrative they hold, is not entirely accurate sometimes, and that was one of the first things I learned when I started traveling is that what people had told me about yeah. what other parts of the world were like often had nothing to do with oh, what no. the actual reality of being there was totally. like, but they believed it, so it was real to them. Yeah, totally opposite. That's my experience too. So okay, so which country is the best to live in for you? So for me, it would it would be I'd like to see more of South America, but so far it's Ecuador. That's where I would spend my time. It's it's immersed completely in nature. Uh, there's huh. so much biodiversity. It's a very low cost of living. It's a very slow pace of life. That's where I go to just exist. Yeah. That's why I bought property there. I still need I still need to get building going on that, but. That's okay. that's my answer for that. That's where I'd like to have kids and raise cats. That's ah, sort of the gonna, retirement plan. I was just going to get to that. So let's talk about your future. Where do you want to raise your kids? Again, right now, the best answer is Ecuador. I mean, there could be other places out there. It's a big planet, you know, but that's where I feel like I would have the, the greatest amount of freedom to instill the things I consider valuable and to allow them to explore their own identities as they mm -hmm. develop. Again, this everything to me comes back to the concept of identity. Yeah. When, you, when you are teaching a child, when you are raising a child, and they are turning in to, to people, right, with their own concept of who they are. And you have to be very careful as a major influence on their life not to stunt that development, not to push too much of your own self onto them. Yeah. And you have to give them the tools they need to be nurtured into that in their own way, which is different for every kid, right? So to me, the, it only makes sense to raise a kid in conditions where you are at liberty to explore the best possible way for them to live and, and develop as people. So stability and uh, crime or, or uh, I don't know, that those aren't issues there? In Ecuador? Not, not in the part I'm in. I mean, maybe if you go to the capital, Quito, or some other major uh -huh. cities. Yeah, of course, there's there's crime in every country. There's crime course, in the yeah. U.S. Like, yeah. Go to Chicago. I've been mugged twice in San Diego. I mean, yeah. come on. They, they, perfect example. Perfect example. Because, um, uh, you know, I don't know, when, when I was a kid or maybe my generation, a lot, just people wouldn't even think of moving out of America. And everybody had a TV. And I was one of the first persons to not own a TV, and I was really adamant about that. And when I moved to Europe, that it's still in the 90s, we were still living in a TV paradigm or paradigm, and, and people would say, "Why well, you don't have a TV, you know, how do you live? And I, and I was always telling them, that's when living starts, man, when you get rid of your TV. And But now we're seeing that change. I'm meeting younger people that don't have TVs. I'm like, yeah, you see, slowly it will change, and... Uh, Slowly, people are becoming more digital nomads. And in the, in the 90s, that didn't really exist yet, I don't think. And so, so that's refreshing hearing from you, people actually thinking of living in Ecuador. And in, in the 90s, I don't think people, I don't know, was inhibited, you know? 
Well, last time I was down there, which was about five years ago, most of the residents were 40 or older, and I was about 22, <laughs> so I was a little bit of a fish out of water, physically yeah. speaking. Huh. Huh. And you said that China showed me some of the worst parts of humanity on a massive scale. So definitely yeah, well, that's sort of the, an, the antithesis of the Ecuador. If Ecuador represents the lifestyle I'd like for myself, China represents the complete opposite. And, and that's not the only, you know, I guess you could say controversial or unpleasant place I've been or taught. I've worked in Iraq. I've been to many places in wow. Asia and the Middle East. Um, you know, so I've seen many different kinds of living on this planet. So there's a whole continuum, a whole spectrum in my mind. And each, you know, I like... I like parts of the Middle East that many people would consider unstable or dangerous because it's a very interesting history, a very interesting culture yeah. for me. I, I was just to go in, there, but not with an American passport. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you got to be careful. I was I was just in Oman uh -huh. and the UAE recently, uh, so a lot of interesting Arabic culture. Morocco is very nice. Uh -huh. um, Speaking of passports, I just got Armenian citizenship by descent because my grandmother was Armenian, oh, and that was really awesome. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. It's usually very difficult to get a second passport. I know because I've worked with people like Andrew Henderson at Nomad Capitalist, who's included. Yeah, I wrote, as a read about that in your book. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so he's he's someone who helps people get passports and and do other offshore stuff like set up bank accounts and companies mm -hmm. all legally, of course. Yeah. Um, and it's usually very difficult to get a second passport unless you've put a lot of work into living in a place or building a company in a place or paying an enormous amount of money. But some countries have descent programs that let you get it very quickly and relatively cheaply. I'm lucky enough that Armenia is one of those countries, and I was able to prove my descent there from my grandmother. Ah. So I got. An Armenian passport now, which is cool. pretty cool. Ar Armenia is the kind of country that feels really undiscovered because there's just not a lot of people going there, and it, it really feels like going back in time, hundreds, yeah. of hundreds of years, because so the country call you was that Armenian almost completely abandoned. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> sure, you can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, don't they have a problem with Turkey? They got a problem with a few different people, I think. Uh -huh. Azerbaijan, Turkey, uh -huh. um, between there and Georgia, I also started putting down some roots. I started residency there because oh. they, they make it very easy for, for the people who want to start putting down roots there. And that's also a place that's rapidly becoming more stable. They just got uh, Shenzhen access with their citizens, Sh too. Shenzhen? Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who has a Georgian passport now, uh, starting I think next year, will get visa-free access, just like Americans do. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of development going on in places that, that aren't very popular with tourists and travelers. So I really like spending time in those parts of the world too. Though I'm not sure if that's where I would really settle down and have my kids, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you're Asia getting ready to do the place. Yeah. Asia what? Asia is sort of all over the place. There's yeah. great stuff and there's terrible stuff. Yeah. So which country, uh, the the, the east-west divide, right? Um, uh, I think most, I don't know if most Americans think, but um, there's this stigma that the east does not respect human life as much as the Christian west. Is there any truth to that, or did you, any experiences? I don't know about that. Um, Deep not sure how much I here. <laughs> I'm not sure how much I believe any major cultural structure or paradigm really respects life in the way I would use a term like that. Um, okay. 
I would say there are definitely very obvious cultural differences between Arabic countries, Christian countries, and Hindu countries, for example, or, or Buddhist countries or Muslim countries, right? Uh, you can usually tell what the dominant religious force in a country is by going there. And again, each one has their own culture, their own flavor. You have to decide for yourself what you like. I think it's really interesting when you see a country like the Philippines, which is a Christian country in Asia, right? Yeah. Which yeah, is a yeah. bit out of place. It's like the most Western part of the East in that sense. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I want to go there someday too. <laughs> All right, let's get back to your book finally. So um, – you wrote the book. What have you done to launch it up to now? Uh, for me, it's been about focusing on what I'm good at, which is another piece of advice I give in the book because marketing is seen as this giant monster that can't be tackled by someone who's just not a natural-born marketer or super social or knows how to work Facebook and Twitter and all these other things. Right, right. And, and to me, you have to do what you're good at and what you know. And what I'm good at is having conversations with people. I'm, I'm good at reaching out people to people directly, forming partnerships, making things happen that wouldn't have happened before. I'm not good at running Facebook ads and building huge <laughs> followings and getting people excited and riled up about things. Yeah. That's the kind of person I am. Anybody who will see that very obviously when they when they get to know me so my approach in the months leading up to this now has been to contact as many people as i know who would find what i'm doing valuable and essentially just tell them what i'm doing and why i think they find it useful i've sent a lot of advanced copies out to people to get market feedback and to tell them hey if you like this you know tell people about it um I'd appreciate it if you could leave an honest review on Amazon when it launches too because I want other people to see what you thought of it as quickly as possible, get that social proof going. I formed yep. some partnerships with people who have much larger audiences than I do. The ah, guy, excellent. Yeah. Yeah, because again, that's what I'm good at. I'm not good at having the audience, but I'm good at working with the people who do. Yeah. Um, the guy who wrote the forward to my book, his name is Alex Miranda. He runs a group in Miami called the Creative Complex, which is like a mm -hmm. brand agency. And we've worked together on a lot of projects, which is how I know him. Yeah. And we share very similar ideas about the concept of developing identities, again, beyond just the actual, like building yeah. a logo or something or writing copy, but the, the core philosophy behind it. And that's why he was so mm -hmm. eager to write the forward to this book. And at the same time, that means now that he's going to help me promote it. And he's the right. kind of guy that right. is really good at building huge followings of awesome. thousands of people. Awesome. So I, yeah. by being aware of my strengths as well as my own limitations, I can be smarter about how I plan my promotional activities, right? Yeah. yeah. And of course, I, I, I've been reading a lot too about the basic services most new authors use, like certain sites that will promote your book for a small fee or using right. ADP select days to make it available for free download for a few days upon launch. Uh, it's at 99 cent pre-order right now. I don't yeah. plan to continue selling it at 99 cents. That's not. Done. <laughs> Right now, because I want people, anyone who is brave enough to take the risk of pre-ordering it before it's available, before it has all these glowing positive reviews on it, yeah. if they're willing to risk 99 cents and pre-order it, that oh. helps me because it's made my book shoot up in the rankings. i got to interrupt you right there. I'm going to tell everybody listening, go get it at 99 cents. You will be happy you got it at 99. It's, it's 
worth 10 bucks for sure. It's an information product. It's, it's really damned good. Okay, sorry, I cut you off there. Thank you. <laughs> and I hope that symbolizes to people too, my goal in writing this has not been to make a bunch of book commissions. I don't yeah. need more cash in my life right now. I live very cheaply and I have many sources of income, right? Mm-hmm. It's been to get the book out there, get myself out there, get the message out there. Mm-hmm. I just finished um, the, actually today, the audio version just went up live for sale on Amazon too. So the oh, audio, nice, nice. audiobook version is up there and the print version should be up there by next week too. So and how got, much is the audio version? It is twenty bucks full price, but I think if you buy it through the Amazon link it's seventeen fifty or seventeen fifty six. Okay. And how much is the print version? Print version is fourteen ninety nine. Okay, okay, nice, nice, excellent. And um you touched on something that's super important which I'm always trying to um to uh, bring across to my readers and and subscribers is that you got an influencer on your side, and so my question is always, you know, what's easier for you to tweet something ten thousand times or to get one person like an influencer to tweet something once to his ten thousand people? So maybe this is the extrovert advantage, you know, if you're good at that, meeting people and getting people to promote you. But then you got the, the typical introverted authors that just want to write, and then and then they go looking for Facebook ads or other platforms as some kind of silver bullet to get around the extroverted marketing part, you know. So, uh, yeah, you you did it. I mean, uh, what do you call it? Benchmarked it with getting influencers behind you, and so I think you got a really great uh, chance to to have some sustained sales too not just you know the spike that you get on launch yeah and you know it was really affirming for me too to see just how much people were willing either to work with me Mm -hmm. or just to support the book especially once they'd read it like that it it really showed me it wasn't just me being crazy and thinking people should buy this book it was like people are genuinely excited about this and there are a lot of people out there willing to help me and support me awesome yeah and um yeah, people buy from people, right? And and that was what I've been hearing from you in your book the whole time. You know, the human side. Um, when's the when's uh, the official launch? When's presale over? Presale is over on May twentieth, so oh. just over two weeks from right now. May twentieth, and and then you got everything all set up on your own website, right? Yeah, well, it's by May 20th, the website will be in the state I want it to be in. It's functional right now. You can go to brandidentitybreakthrough.com, but that was also something that sort of had to be put together very quickly as a result of my unfortunate origin story. Um, but again, I've had, you know, I've had some great help from people I've worked with in the past who understand how to do all these things because I'm not a web developer or a designer. And so it's really coming together very well. The online course should be up there by May 20th as well. And I got to say, I'm really proud and impressed with the way everything has come together with this and it could have gone been so much worse considering yeah. how everything started tell me a little bit about your online course i know we're going over time here but um tell us just a little bit about your online course so there's there's sort of a, a certain methodology in sales that a lot of people follow which is three tiers of selling something one is that you give them the manual and you say good luck which is sort of equivalent to what the book is. Like, you know, you buy the yeah. book, it's up to you to read it and try to understand it and implement it. Yeah. And the next tier above that would be, instead of just telling you how it works, I'm actually going to hold your hand and walk you through the process and give you specifically 
you know, exercises and ways I can show you how to do this as it applies to your business in a way where I'm doing most of the thinking for you and showing mm-hmm. it to you. Right. Right. And, the process. and then the third tier above that would be I'll do everything for you completely. Yeah. Right. And that's for people who want to work really directly with me. If you, you know, and you can give me a call if you're one of those people. But the course is designed to be this sort of that middle ground where maybe people who read the book and they really like the concepts in it, but it's 269 pages, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. go through all 65,000 words, or it's just so much information to take in that they got to reread it multiple times or they can't find the time to fit it in in just the right way in their business. Then right. they can take the course and get a more detailed approach of just the most important parts of the book and a much more hands-on tailored way to apply it to what they're doing, right? People yeah. who want to actually interact with me because it'll be me teaching the course. And I plan to start doing webinars very soon too with a similar kind of focus is that mm-hmm. human interaction with yeah. Me, yeah. not just words on paper. Cool. And um, it's going to be one of those $1,000 courses? Uh, pricing, we're looking at between 50 and 100 bucks probably for oh, this nice, course. Nice. And if that's successful, we'll probably turn it into a longer course that goes on for weeks and could be, who knows, up to $1,000. Pricing is an art form, yeah. Um, Brian Harris did a really good case study on that. Um, he's the email marketing master. And if, if you would like to, then that's my tip uh, to go check out Brian Harris and uh, – uh, at Video Fruit. So um, um, let's see. So brandidentitybreakthrough.com, right? That is correct. And the book launch is May 20th. What else do you want to say, Mr. Gregory? Well, <laughs> there's not there's not a lot left to say except that, you know, for me this is – it's sort of meta in the sense that I wrote a book about brand identity as a way to cement my own brand identity. Yeah. I mean and, and I think that's what everybody needs to do in their business and in their own personal life is figure out what what is your origin story. What are the ideals that you stand for? Why are you doing the things that you do? This is the whole reason I started traveling as soon as I finished high school is because I wanted to understand human beings. Why do we exist the ways that we do? What other ways can we exist? Growing up the first 18 years of my life in California, I lived in a bottle. You know, I, I had a very <laughs> limited perspective yeah. on human life you know, and, and, and possibilities for existence. And now I have a much better idea of that that continues to grow every single day. And awesome. I want to encourage anybody who reads my book or doesn't to ask yourself those same questions in your own business or for literally any other part of your life because there is no part it does not apply to. Yeah, exactly. And okay, I'm going to say it one more time, everybody. His book is now 99 cents until May 20th. Go get it. It's really worth it. I've read it, and I'm really stoked that I got it for only 99 cents. And super important. I think it's mandatory reading for anybody that wants to start anything like a business or a product. And and even if you're not a businessman, you should read it. Brand identity, even if you're not going to make a brand or product, you should read it. It's important stuff. It's, it's really cool, and it's fresh. And uh, brandidentitybreakthrough.com. Uh, Brand Identity Breakthrough by Gregory Deal. Get it on Amazon for 99 cents now. And thank you so much, Gregory, for going one hour and 22 minutes with me. (laughs) I hope our podcast listeners will go the whole time. Uh, Thanks for your time. It was great being here. I'd be happy to talk to you any other time. Oh, we shall. We shall, my friend. So 
let's call it a day for now and over and out. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, my friends, if you like that podcast, then remember to go to zbooks.co and go get all the materials to start your authoring career. We have a seven-day challenge every week, so there's no excuse to not finish your book. And remember, please go to iTunes and upvote this podcast and Google Play. Okay, I look forward to seeing you at the top.